just got an invitation through the mail. Your presence requested this evening is formal. Top hat, white tie, and tails. Nothing now could take the wind out of my sails. Because I'm invited to step out this evening in top hat, white tie, and tails. Oh, I'm putting on my top hat, tying up my white tie, brushing off my tails. Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to, right now, 1935. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Dahl. And this week, we watched Top Hat, starring Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And, uh, I... I want to get right to something because 10 episodes ago, we said to hold off on watching The Gay Divorcee with Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire because we were going to watch this and we would let you know which was the better movie. As it turns out, it doesn't it's matter. It's the same movie. Yeah, as it turns out, it's the exact <laughs> same film. I will argue that Top Hat is actually the... It's the do-over that's better. It was like, ah, we didn't really nail it the first time. It depends what you want. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, it, it is a do-over just because it's not viable to have a straight sequel to The Gay Divorcee because there's a happy ending. And so you can't just like go like, well, they meet and get married again. <laughs> one of them gets in a car wreck because Fred Astaire moves a road closed sign. <laughs> And Ginger Rogers forgets their whole story, and then that's how Top Hat happens. Honestly, that would be better than this. Um, because, like... You didn't like it! I didn't. I didn't hate oh, okay. it, but I, I did think, like, listen, everything that is good about Gay Divorcee is better in this one with one glaring exception, but also everything that's bad about Gay Divorcee is worse in this one. Alright, uh, <laughs> I I think we can... I mean, I guess we should do the plot. Yeah. Fred Astaire plays a g guy with a ridiculous name again, who meets Ginger Rogers by being, frankly, just unconscionably rude in a hotel room. <laughs> and doing a big tap number while she's trying to sleep. The two of them have a flirtatious thing that becomes a him being a stalking creep thing again before they fall in love, but then there is a misunderstanding where she thinks he is his close friend who is already married. And so she believes that this guy she has fallen in love with is a married man. Married to her best friend. Yes. And then that mistaken identity plot drags on for over an hour. It does go on for ages. She is also in a business slash edging over into romantic relationship with an over-the-top Italian man. We'll come back to it. <laughs> oh, there's so many things we will come back to. <laughs> And decides to marry him in order to get this guy that she thinks is a married creep, but is actually a creep for very different reasons that she didn't seem to mind very much, uh, off of her back. Eventually, they figure out the mistaken identity thing and get married. 
well, not, again, not actually on screen, but, like, you know they're gonna. Right. And it turns out that her marriage to the over-the-top Italian stereotype fashion designer oh, God. was not legitimate for- For the mo- I wrote in my last note on this movie is I'd feel worse that I stopped paying attention to anything but the dance numbers in the last third if I wasn't just taking the movie's lead on that. Like, like the movie so doesn't care about the justification for them not being married that it makes no sense. Doesn't even try and have it make any sense. Uh, I mean, I think it, I think it makes sense, but it's, uh... Well, it, it makes sense in the world of the film. It, but, it but makes it, sense in the Disneyland version of Venice that they present the second half of the movie in. Oh, yeah. the the It's a small world after all ride that they rented out to be Venice for this film. <laughs> and like, don't get me wrong. Venice is Disneyland for adults already. And I love Venice. It's, it's my favorite place in the entire world. This Venice looks nothing like the real one like the venetian in las vegas looks more authentic than this venice (laughs) it's beautiful i'd like to go to this made-up all-white art deco venice that they have i'm sure they have since struck that soundstage or two What's weird is even within the universe of the film, it seems like it's this weird tiny Venice within a hotel in Venice, because there's that part at the end of Cheek to Cheek where they like go out on the balcony and you can see the like actual outside instead of the fake outside that has been the outside until then. Right. Yeah. Like it seems like there are canals in the hotel. Yes. Like the Venetian in Las Vegas. (laughs) Mostly that just confused me later when they're like, they're drifting out to sea. And I'm like, how? <laughs> That's <laughs> They're in a hotel. Uh, so yeah, this movie is in so many ways, not just like, oh, well, Susan and David watch so many movies that of course they start seeing similarities. It has almost the exact same cast as the, div- the gay divorcee. I keep saying The Divorcee, which is a totally different movie. It has exactly one difference in cast, and it's one of the things that irritates me the most about this movie is it's the exact same cast, except Aunt Hortense is somebody else. And who in their right mind? I would recast Fred Astaire before I recast Aunt Hortense. <laughs> yeah, but you you have Fred Astaire as creepy stalking guy ginger rogers as initially reluctant but gets worn down and falls in love with him ingenue not alice brady as the one-liner machine who actually plays the one-liner machine helen broderick eric rhodes again as the ridiculous italian stereotype and edward everett horton as fred astaire's like older friend Oh, and Eric Bloor is the waiter from Gay Divorcee. I started working together a theory that, like, they're all in some sort of, like, weird, lost, like, purgatory. And just, they have to keep reliving this romantic comedy thing until they finally do it right. Aunt Hortense, of course, was so beautiful she got to ascend to heaven. But the rest of these damned souls... (laughs) 
must forever relive basically the same plot line over and over again. Yeah. I actually really like that as the uh, explanation for why this happened. And to be fair, we are not the first critics to make this assertion. In fact, contemporary critics said exactly the same thing. They're like, yeah, it's just the gay divorce. I will say that for me, the things that I liked better about it, one, it goes full farce much harder than I felt the gay divorcee did. I felt like the gay divorcee tried to justify a lot of the absurdity of that movie with this pretend adultery plot line, which was just ludicrous. And this just leads so hard into the mistaken identity thing, which is like, that's a pretty standard story trope, comedy of errors type thing. Um, I personally hate that trope. Unless someone is specifically actively pretending to be someone else. I mean, they spend days and multiple people get involved before this is ever found out. Yeah. That it's not actually Madge's husband who has been hitting on Ginger Rogers, that it's a totally different person. And it, it just, it strains credulity <laughs> really hard. <laughs> It not only strains credulity, I feel like it wastes so much of the time. And, like, honestly, that whole period in Gay Divorcee that had the, like, weird mistaken identity plot about the adultery thing didn't bother me that much. Because, one, it was, like, a third as long as the mistaken identity plot in this movie is. But, two, it was also just kind of an excuse for a lot of kind of lazy but still pretty fun sex jokes that just like it was a whole lot of like i've satisfied hundreds of women thousands all of them dancers all of them beautiful like it just like things that's like no man would say but it was hilarious and this every like so much time is taken up creating explanations for why they don't figure it out for the next scene that like it just wastes time no i agree i agree and, and I'm not saying that the mistaken identity part of the gay divorcee was the problem. It was the fake adultery plotline overall that I found problematic. Yes. I managed to suspend my disbelief more in Top Hat because they leaned so hard into the mistaken identity plotline, even though that is a plotline I hate. <laughs> Does that make sense? I kind of agree. I feel like... My problems with Gay Divorcee were more about the specifics of the plot, and my problems with Top Hat are more structural. I think kind of if the time had been better spent, better portioned out, they'd kind of spent more time in different parts of the plot than they did, I would look more kindly on this film. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I do think it makes some good decisions. Like, I think overall more time is spent in musical numbers in this than in Gay Divorcee. And certainly I think the big showstopper numbers in this are better. I mean, yeah, the musical numbers overall I think are better. The big end of the movie dance number, what is it called? The it's not the, not, not the Pinocchio. The Piccoletto? Where... <laughs> Um, the, uh, the Piccolino. <laughs> there we go. The only thing in my notes is trying to make fetch happen with the Continental again, A-R-K-O. <laughs> well, but it was way, I thought it was way better than the Continental. One, it didn't go on for 700 years. Oh, yes. It's much shorter. It's um, much shorter. And it's actually, I think, much more interesting because they have one gimmick and the song is like five minutes long and that's it. And like, Good. 
I also think it weirdly helps that you don't open that number with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. You open with the big crowd thing and then go to them because it's like you don't have this setup of like, fucking get back to Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Right, right. Instead, it's like, here's the opening act for Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. A hundred people. And you're like, this is right and good. Yes, exactly. That is the only way that you could have a proper opening act for them. The sets were really impressive to me in this movie because they did the big white set 10 times. There were so many big white art deco sets and they were obviously like very designed. Someone spent a lot of time thinking about them. They weren't as beautiful as the more natural looking hotel in England in the Gay Divorcee. I thought. Generally, I think that the, like, sets in this movie were impressive for how much they managed to differentiate what was weirdly the same set over and over again. (laughs) Yes. It's like one big white art deco hotel room to another, and they all look different. (laughs) Yeah. But yes, it is a very particular style, and, like, I was into that style, and I was still, like... So we're just... We're gonna go from a fancy hotel in a club that literally doesn't let people well i guess the hotel is in a different spot than the opening club sequence oh this movie just like gay divorcee has a completely disconnected from everything else opening sequence that i kind of loved but also kind of completely forgot about well i'll tell you what i loved about that opening sequence is that it establishes one of the themes of the movie which is that tap dancing is fucking annoying yeah Yes. And that... (laughs) I mean, it really does. And that our main character, Jerry Travers, is kind of a defiant asshole about it. It, It's that tap dancing is annoying and can be used as a weapon. That's the theme of Top Hat, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) So they're they're at this gentleman's club that's apparently... I guess it's Edward Everett Horton's character, whose name is Horace Hardwick, which is totally a porn star name, by the way. Yeah. Horace Hardwick's Gentleman's Club in London, and of course, Fred Astaire's character, and I'm not going to call him Jerry Travers, his name is Fred Astaire, let's just get it over with. Yeah. Has come over to England to be in a show that Hardwick is producing, and for whatever reason, they're meeting at his Gentleman's Club, where you are literally not allowed to make a sound. Like, a waiter gets glared at because he clinks two tiny port glasses together as he's serving them. So Horace comes to pick him up and takes him outside and they're like having a whispery conversation about how they should leave and go back to the hotel room or whatever. After Fred Astaire, of course, has made like a couple of small noises, like he cleared his throat and he rustled his paper a little bit and everyone is glared at him. So his thing that he's going to do is on the threshold of the room, he's going to do a little tap number as loud as possible, which is basically him, like, flicking two birds and skateboarding off. Yeah. And honestly, as, like, a character-setting bit, it's kind of charming. (laughs) It's one of those things where it's like, you look back and you're like, oh, God, they told me who the murderer was in the very first scene. Like (laughs) That is totally how I felt. That's particularly when he was flirting with Ginger Rogers at the beginning. Oh, and this is something I think that is actually better than the gay divorcee, is that Fred Astaire being a creep goes on for way less time and is mostly less terrifying. Like, he's not committing actual crimes. Well, he does literally (laughs) steal a horse and carriage. Oh, yeah, that's true. 
What is it with Fred Astaire and traffic crimes? I don't know. And I don't quite understand. Like, I do have to say, I think this movie does a better job of having Ginger Rogers be, like, clearly charmed by him much earlier. But I don't know if it does a better job of having him not be a huge creep. Yeah, it's kind of like, did he just whittle her down so much from the gay divorcee that this time she's like, fine, (laughs) fine, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get it over with. But yeah, so I, I forget how, oh, right, they meet because he's tap dancing. And she complains. Uh, can I, can I complain? Yes. About the thing. <laughs> Here's the thing. This is actually a thing he does that in the context of the film is supposed to be kind of sweet, but is nothing and irritates me so much because he has annoyed her. Oh, is it the Sandman thing? It's the fucking Sandman <laughs> yes. thing. Same. This is a hotel, sir. We are trying to have a civilization. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So he has annoyed her by keeping her awake through tap. And instead of going, oh, then I will be quiet and attempt to talk to you in the morning. He takes the ash out of a like ashtray, the the sand out of an ashtray and dumps it all over the floor of his friend's (laughs) hotel room and then does a soft shoe tap all over the fucking sand, which one is a way more annoying sound if you can still hear it and you're trying to sleep. And two... That someone has to clean that up, sir. This is a hotel. And they have a shot of her in her hotel room and she can clearly still hear it, even though it's quieter. And she like has a sweet little smile. And I'm like, no, that's not, that's not cute. That's annoying. Just fucking go to bed. (sighs) Anyway, it really fucking bothered me. It also bothered me that like, I guess in terms of this just weird hell dimension they're all in, it works because everybody, (laughs) including Fred Astaire, falls asleep from this. Yeah, it somehow (laughs) makes everyone sleepy. I, I don't, I don't understand. Maybe it's because no one has ever tap danced in the room above me on fucking ashtray sand before but please upstairs neighbors if you should ever listen to our podcast don't don't try it out i don't want to know yeah so the next morning he sees her in the lobby and she's dressed to go horseback riding yes and he offers to give her a ride to the stable and she says no that she has a ride outside and they have this exchange that made me realize what it is that I hate about Fred Astaire as a flirty actor. Oh, he asks if the cab is horse-drawn, and she says yes, that the stable always does that, because they feel the horse is coming back. And he says, well, where has he been? And I hate that. I hate that, like, daft laddie acting dumb when you know what somebody meant way of flirting. It's so irritating. (laughs) You can't have a conversation with someone like that. It's infuriating. I think the thing that's most infuriating about it is that the universe kind of bends to it for him in this way where just, like, he always gets to do a callback to it so that the conversation does continue. But, like, life doesn't work that way. (laughs) And then the creepiest part of the movie happens. Yes, where he impersonates a driver and steals the horse and carriage that she is riding in, despite the fact that he does not know how to drive one of those, and just sends them careening without any control through the streets of London. And then finds this somehow charming enough that, like, if I do a little soft shoe tap, she'll love me. 
Well, the creepiest part of the whole thing is she's trying, she's asking him something because she doesn't know that he's up there. But she's like, you know, driver, can you do whatever? And she opens a little hatch that is in the roof of the carriage. And he goes, peekaboo. And it's so fucking terrifying. (laughs) It's like straight horror movie shit. The way he delivers peekaboo. Well, that, and it's immediately followed up by her going, pull this carriage over this instant. And he goes, I don't know how. So he's like stolen this. Like, that's the thing that gets me. Like one, yes, he is already a serial killer. (laughs) But two, your carriage is controlled by a serial killer that doesn't know how to drive. I mean, I guess the cold comfort there is if if the serial killer is that bad at details, he'll get caught and be brought to justice after he dismembers you. Yeah, that's that's something. Anyway, then they go have a dance sequence in a gazebo. Oh, God, no, the creepiest thing is actually his explanation of where thunder comes from. I had blocked it out. (laughs) God, no, that's actually way worse than the peekaboo thing. I mean, not on a visceral level, but uh, okay. Well, no. So you should explain that. (laughs) So it starts raining so that they can do a musical number about how everything is great even though it's raining that isn't singing in the rain and he explains to her where thunder comes from as she has conveniently forgotten so that he can be a smart ass this is why people mansplain it's because of this yeah and it's such a terrifying mansplanation thing where, like, he creepily sexualizes clouds to be like, when a strong masculine cloud meets a, like, skinny little filly of a cloud. <laughs> that is not what he said. It's fucking close. <laughs> but they... And she tries to get away from him. Right. And then he specifically says, and then she cries a little, and that's where rain comes from. <sighs> yeah, you're right. Maybe that is... <laughs> As part of the natural courtship pattern of the world that brings about thunder, followed by lightning being when they... God, what is it? This, that's the spark, right? And then thunder is when they kiss, which doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong. And it sucks. And like, it, that is when I texted you, why do these movies want to destroy all of my goodwill toward Fred Astaire before you even get to the good dance numbers? Because it... Maybe they feel like they need to give him a handicap, like in golf or something. Right, but it's not like the competition isn't a stereotypical Italian man every time. That's That's fair. Anyway, this doesn't work, but the dance number they do afterwards does work on Ginger Rogers, which fine. And it, it's it's fine because she does specifically bring up the dance as what worked. Yeah, and they have a whole tab number and I guess it's cute or whatever. It's funny because I didn't realize until this number where she's not wearing a dress and heels that she's not as good of a dancer as he is by like a high margin. Um, I don't know. I She's not as good of a tap dancer, I'm gonna say. No, that's absolutely true. When you get to the ballroom dancing part of Cheek to Cheek, it gets a lot harder to judge. But she is not as good of a tap dancer as Fred Astaire, that is true. Like, there's no ballroom in this at all. Well, there's like a few steps of like, kind of a foxtrot or something, but it's mostly just them tapping together. Uh, yes, in this number, which is... In a gazebo, in the rain. Yeah, which is fine, mostly. 
When I say that, I mean, it's like, if this had been in Gay Divorcee, it would have been one of the better numbers in Gay Divorcee, but it's kind of my least favorite one in this movie. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, my least favorite is the one where he's tap dancing in the hotel room at the beginning because I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you, bro? Right. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Um... (laughs) But... Aside from that one. God, the other thing about that one is, like, the music in that sequence is non-diegetic, right? He's just tap dancing to nothing. Yeah. When she comes in to find him. And his whole excuse is that he has some kind of, like, condition where he just suddenly gets inspired to dance and he can't help himself. And you know what? Like, I don't know that I think that's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, why else are you dancing in a hotel room when people are trying to sleep to nothing? Anyway, moving on. So the next day, he sends her, like, all of the flowers from the flower shop in the hotel and has them charged to Horace's room. And I guess the hotel florist puts Horace's name on the card or whatever, because now she thinks that Horace Hardwick is the person who is courting her. Well, she thinks that because she's supposed to ask after Horace because Horace is married to her best friend and Horace is supposed to like call on her to get her to come down to Italy and like they can all meet up in London if Fred Astaire's character won't go down to Italy. But then she asks what the room number is for Horace and gets told that it's the room right above hers. Oh, right. Where the guy has sent her all the flowers. Right. And then Fred Astaire didn't sign his name to be cute, to be like, you remember me. I'm the tap dancing dickhole who thought doing it in sand would help somehow. (laughs) Uh, So she doesn't know his name. And there's a dumb mistaken identity bit where Horace goes behind this chandelier, and so she can't see him, and then Fred Astaire comes out, which I don't know what angle he came out where she didn't see him walk behind the chandelier, but somehow she didn't. And so he comes out the other side of this chandelier that's blocking her view and is like, oh no, the man I love is married, and proceeds to think that for a fucking hour. And, well, really for days within the narrative of this story. Yes but an hour of the film, and she then slaps him across the face for being such a cad. Also, we find out what her whole thing is with this Italian guy whose name is not Tanetti, but Bedini, which of course is the setup for a later terrible, completely throwaway rhyming joke. Which is actually worse than the one in Gay Divorcee. Yeah, it's... We'll get to it. it, I do have to say his profession is the one thing that makes him at all different than Tanetti and does get you a couple of good jokes because he's a fashion designer. When she is going to, like, run away with Fred Astaire before she thinks he's married, not Tanetti loudly announces, I'll never let a woman wear one of my dresses again (laughs) and storms out of the room. I actually have it as never again will I allow women to wear my dresses. (laughs) That's, yes. Which is the same idea, but somehow better with that. Anyway, it's silly, but it kind of works. But also, like, Benini, who everyone just calls Alberto, he's less harmless than Tanetti was because he actually does, like, have a romantic thing for her. And it's a little bit, uh... 
It's a little bit creepy. I feel like she's in a pretty precarious situation there. (laughs) Right. But she never seems to feel like it's precarious, which is weird. Yeah. Like at one point she just says, you know, I'll go back to America and live on the dole. And I have in my notes, ha 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 sob. (laughs) Yeah. Because because there was welfare. Uh, Anyway. Uh, Anyway, then... She decides to go to to Italy with her friend, her friend telegrams her husband, who is Fred Astaire's friend, and Fred Astaire gets the telegram in the middle of the big musical number that he's doing for his friend's show. Which was actually a good musical number. Yes. And is again on theme, because within the context of the musical number, he kills two dozen men by tapping. Yes, he does commit mass murder through tap. There's also a thing where I am not entirely clear that he was supposed to come out and do that number, or if he decided to do a number about how he's going out on the town just because he got that telegram, and everybody else just has to fucking walk, watch for the changes. <laughs> like, it's... I mean, he's front of stare. You do what he wants. Right. But then they charter a plane, and they all meet up in Italy. And they land by seaplane in Venice. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it's so ludicrous. I want to land by seaplane in Venice. That's never happened for me. They have an airport, so you could just go to the fucking airport. Is it ever explicitly Venice, or is it like... No, they, they say that it's Venice, oh, yeah. okay. But anyway, it does look like the It's a Small World After All set for Italy. <laughs> you know, maybe it's a full, like, Epcot set, you know, where they have, like, the different countries. You're right. Yeah, it's it is slightly closer to a like full sized Epcot. Like there is a full flume ride just for Venice in this one. Yeah, honestly, this is where the movie became kind of exhausting for me because it just became a series of like, is this the scene where they figure it out? No. Is this the scene where they figure it out? No. Oh well, okay. This is where Madge gets introduced, though. Yes. She meets up with Ginger Rogers, they chat about Ginger Rogers' love life, and now it's established in Madge's mind that Madge's husband, Horace, is trying to have an affair with Ginger Rogers. Oh, wait, we've skipped over history's most the code stopped him cut that I've ever seen in my life, which is Horace explaining his actual affair on the seaplane on their way to Italy. Where he gets far enough to go, like, and I may have been indiscreet and kissed her. Loud whirring engine noise. <laughs> end of scene. They are landing. It's actually allowed her to kiss me. Right. Um, right. Which which we're all, like, very upset about in the haze office. <laughs> <laughs> but then some other shit happens in this movie where I'm like, how? did the haze come i mean like is it okay i guess because everyone thinks something scandalous is happening but it's really not scandalous because as the whole thing goes on there's a dinner that madge has arranged for ginger rogers and fred astaire to be introduced to each other because she wants to set them up and everybody is supposed to come to the dinner and jerry comes down 
not Jerry, Fred Astaire. We're not calling him by his <laughs> fake name. Right. And of course, Ginger Rogers still thinks that he's married to Madge. And there's this whole bit of like Madge giving her blessing and Fred Astaire being like, oh, I just don't know what I'd do without her. She's so great. And then there's some other stuff where Ginger Rogers says, well, you know, I guess if Madge gives her blessing, then it's fine with me. And it's like the Hayes office is definitely not on board with like, husband sharing (laughs) yeah i feel like it's the haze code equivalent of like threatening to blow yourself up and everyone else in the room because it's like yeah i am gonna imply that ginger rogers is a swinger but we don't get cheek to cheek if you cut it (laughs) what are you gonna do what are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, I guess there is that. And I guess the argument, of course, is that she's not actually, and that they're not actually, so it's okay because the audience knows that there's no, like, polyamory happening here, so it's all right. Right. Then they have the cheek-to-cheek number, which the behind-the-scenes story for this number is amazing. <laughs> Yes, uh, you you should tell it. Ginger Rogers in the cheek to cheek number wears this dress that is essentially like a white silk column dress, but is topped with this enormous shoulder cape type thing in the front made of ostrich feathers. And then from about mid thigh down is this huge skirt also made of ostrich feathers, that she apparently fought tooth and nail for. And everyone else, including Fred Astaire, hated this dress. And I want to say that when I read this story before I saw the movie, I was like, yeah, good on you, girl. Like, stick up for what you know is right for you for this dance number and it's going to make it great. And then I watched it. And she was wrong and everyone else was right because one, she looks like one of those big white shaggy dogs that you like can't see their eyes. Uh, a sheepdog. She looks like a sheepdog in a like silk shirt. It is not a flattering dress at all. And feathers from it keep flying off of the dress and are like all over the floor after they do their like multiple ballroom foxtrot whatever style of dancing it is thing and then they have the tap dance and it was so distracting because there are literally feathers all over the fucking floor (laughs) yeah when you read the wikipedia article about it you think oh it must have been such a continuity mess like that must be what they're complaining about because surely they like sweep all the feathers to the side and like Right, and that, like, maybe if you look really hard, you might see one. Oh, no, you do not have to look hard. (laughs) I also love that in-universe, this dress is made by not Tanetti. So you're like, oh, yeah, that fucking hack made that dress for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is... It it was really not the right dress. And it sucks because the number is actually quite beautiful. And there are some moments where the shape of the skirt definitely lends itself to the dance. There's a lot of lifts where she like kicks her legs out and it's beautiful. But like a regular silk dress would have had the same effect and would not have been nearly as distracting. Yeah. Uh, So apparently Fred Astaire hated it so much and bitched about it so much that Ginger Rogers burst into tears at one point, 
Which I have to give them credit because I watched that and I was waiting to see his face break at like any bit of like, I can't believe she's wearing this fucking sheepdog dress. And it wasn't there or her looking like she was going to cry. But apparently after the movie wrapped, he gave her a feather charm for her charm bracelet and they sang a rewritten version of I'm in heaven or cheek to cheek about feathers and he nicknamed her Feathers ever after that. So that's that's kind of adorable. Even though he made her cry. But you know what? He was right. That dress sucks. <laughs> it's terrible. I, I do have to say, when you lay it all down like that, Fred Astaire sounds like a real asshole. And it's maybe a little bit unproportional. But, like, you guys haven't seen the dress. It's... Yeah, well, if you if you go and watch the cheek to cheek number on YouTube or whatever, like you'll get it. He definitely was a dick about it, but he wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah, so they have that number, and it's really cute and sweet or whatever. And it ends with the really incredible backbend at the end of the number. Yeah, <laughs> and then they go out and have this nice kind of like wordless scene where she like, well, it's not. They ruin it by then having a dialogue scene, but there's this nice, like, wordless moment where you can kind of tell she's like, I can't do this, I can't be in this relationship that I think this is. And then they have another one of those exchanges where they don't speak like human beings so that they don't end up giving away the mystery. So no one figures it out. (laughs) Yeah. And she slaps him again and runs off. Well, yeah, because he says that he wants to marry her. Right. Actually, the end of this scene, now that I remember it, is sort of charming. Because he says he wants to marry her, and she freaks out and slaps him and says, I can't believe I fell in love with somebody so low, and walks off, and all he says is, she's in love with me. (laughs) And, like, looks Um. off into the middle distance, all, like, (laughs) dreamy-eyed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's I it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, that's really cute, but also is it worth the hair-tearing frustration of watching this movie and Oh god, no. being like, why doesn't anyone ever just talk in these movies? Yeah, no, absolutely not. Also, you're going to ask a girl to marry you and she doesn't even know your name, dude. Yeah. That's the thing is it's not just that she thinks that your your friend you you never introduced yourself there's also this thing that i got really annoyed when it's like finally all revealed by how cavalier about the whole thing not aunt hortense was (laughs) she doesn't seem at all surprised or apologetic or like this changes her opinion on anything i love madge i think madge is great she's no aunt hortense but she is still like the most chill chick in the movie and has a lot of like rad misandrous things to say (laughs) my favorite line in the movie is from her and it is when ginger rogers still thinking fred astaire is is madge's husband goes he wants to divorce you and marry me and madge goes well then he's doing right by everyone Uh, well, and then shortly after that has the line about, you know, did he mention a settlement? And she said no. And Madge says, well, I don't suppose I'd have to pay myself alimony. <laughs> yeah. Which is, again, she's the rich wife with all the power. Okay, so I want to get to what is Fred Astaire's plan in this, like... You mean before he realizes what the mistaken identity thing is? No, after. 
because there's the thing where one he has to clear out the bridal suite because Ginger Rogers is going to be in there with not Tanetti. Yeah, she's decided that she's going to marry Alberto because Madge makes this comment about how like as long as you're a spinster, you're going to be prey to any of these creepy dudes in the world. So you need to like hurry up and get married. And Madge is, of course, thinking you need to hurry up and get married to Fred Astaire. And that doesn't work because Ginger Rogers thinks Fred Astaire is Madge's husband and the person she needs to get married to get away from. So she tells Alberto that she'll marry him. Right. And then (laughs) she believes that she does. Uh, And so she takes the bridal suite and Fred Astaire, one, for some reason, decides to antagonize not Tanetti by being in there. Then step two of the plan is to go upstairs and tap dance to go like, hey, remember that time I was really annoying? And then Tanetti goes off to try and murder him. With a rapier. Is that what, which, yeah, I have lots of thoughts, but he's (laughs) supposed to be an idiot, so whatever. But does Fred Astaire want that to happen? Is that part of Fred Astaire's plan? I I assumed that... Well, here's what it is presented as in the movie, and then I'll explain why I don't think that makes sense. So he gets the hotel room above theirs, does his whole tap dancing thing, and he's like, yeah, get Tanetti up here, and I'm gonna sneak over the balcony into the bridal suite and talk to Ginger Rogers, and you, Horace, you distract not Tanetti. But that's not how the first part played out. The first part of the movie is she came upstairs. Right. And so you could have just gone and talked to her. Yeah. <laughs> I Like, I you don't, you, you got nothing out of the tap dance part of this plan. Like, I guess the thing was he's going to lure, not Tanetti, I'm not learning his actual last name. Alberto, whatever. Out, out of the room. But like... Then he's just luring him to come murder his friend, which doesn't seem like the neighborly thing to do. <laughs> and like, I know the whole the whole plan is a little bit suspect, but it somehow still works out because it's Fred Astaire and it's a movie. Which right before that part, not Tanetti is getting ready in his robe, I guess, to like have sex with his bride, which like. Also, Bates's plan of pretending to be a priest so that they don't get really married could have gone very wrong in this society. <laughs> I have several, several, several problems with Bates's plan. But that's when he has his, like, totally not funny rhyming with his name moment where he says he like sings a song to himself about how great he is in the mirror and his last name is Bedini and he says something about how he's glad he's not skinny (laughs) and uh, okay I have to say like trust Tanetti he prefers spaghetti was a better totally not funny rhyming joke it's also like you're making up a fake italian name you could make up one that actually rhymes with skinny or you know that like rhymes with a good joke right that's also possible like there's (laughs) there are lots of sounds in italian names that you could yeah you could do a lot of rhyming sounds. Anyway, somehow this like kind of works out where Fred Astaire goes to talk to Ginger Rogers. Then for no apparent reason, Horace's manservant Bates has decided to be their gondolier and doesn't know how to operate a gondola and falls into 
the flume ride in their hotel <laughs> and then runs upstairs. AKA the canal. Yeah. And runs upstairs to announce to everyone that they have been washed out to sea, which I guess makes sense in that it is later revealed that that isn't true at all. And Bates was fooling them. But also, how could they have fallen for that for a single moment? Right. Because it's it's <laughs> like you're at the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas, and a and a like waiter comes up and yells like, "Your kids are being washed out into the Pacific Ocean," <laughs> and you you run downstairs in a panic and rent a motorboat. <laughs> right in the middle <laughs> of the Las Vegas desert. Yeah. So Horace and Madge and Alberto take a motorboat out to sea to find them and then get stranded out there because Bates took most of the gas out of the boat. So that happens. And then the not the continental, but better, but basically the same idea scene starts. And I had a really hard time getting into it because I kept thinking, oh, my God. Imagine Horace and Alberto are like out in the fog in the Adriatic Sea. This is like, like that's real at night. Like no one's going to find them until morning. They won't be back tonight. So you guys are free to like celebrate her wedding night, except you're not the groom. Right. Like what? I, <laughs> I, he endangered their lives and for, so that they could have a, a dance number. Right. And it doesn't like it doesn't in any way actually assist them. The problem was never any of the three of them. Like the problem was that the like they were not on the same page about who Fred Astaire was. Like Right. And also, like, what are they gonna do? Because as far as anybody knows, because Bates hasn't told anyone yet, she is married to Alberto. So, uh, like, they can't get it annulled because he's stranded out in the middle of the Adriatic. So I just want to take a moment right now before we get to the final scenes of this movie to point out that since Not Tanetti and Ginger Rogers have gotten married, Bates has seen her when he was her gondolier and screamed over and over again that he had fallen into the water, seen not Tanetti when he went upstairs to explain that Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire had been washed out to sea, and then seen Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers again to explain that he had fooled everyone during the presumably pretty long process of renting and stocking up the motorboat to go out and search for them. But has not mentioned BT dubs. <laughs> not just not mentioned. The thing that bothers me about this is after the not continental dance... <laughs> Not Tanetti goes back upstairs to confront. No, they just find him uh, drying off and try to explain things to him when Horace and Bates rush in. And Bates explains that he had been tasked for the second act of this movie, when you didn't see him much, to follow Ginger Rogers around. And in a moment of panic, apparently, while following Ginger Rogers and, and not Tanetti around, he turned his collar around so he looked like a priest. And he was the one that married them. And then suddenly, with his collar turned around, Ginger Rogers and not Tanetti are like, Oh, yeah, that was you. They've, it's not even, he's not even like Clark Kent-esque wearing glasses. No, there's no mustache ripped off. It's, 
he is wearing exactly the same outfit, only not a bow tie you can see. Also, it's really convenient that at no point in the wedding ceremony did they go to the back 180 degrees of him, huh? <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, it's like, where did they find this guy? Right? Just, like, on the street? You're like, oh, you're a priest, can you marry us right now? Like, I don't think that's how that works. There's the weird scene where Bates gets arrested, and it's like, why was that at all necessary? Apparently it's illegal to impersonate a gondolier. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, well, as far as, like, real Venice is concerned, yes, it is illegal to operate a gondola without a license. Well, uh, sure, but this seemed like, again, it's- But this is, again, not real Venice, it's Disneyland Venice. Right, exactly, you would think there would be some leeway at the Grand Floridian, you know? Like, that's, that's all I'm trying to get at. Is it, like, doesn't seem like a thing where there's a, like, actual gondola industry inside of this hotel that he's taking business away from. It seems like he just, like, took the gondola out with these two people he knows. Yeah. Anyway. He then gets arrested. (laughs) After insulting a Venetian police officer as much as possible because the Venetian police officer tells him he doesn't understand English and then takes out a little book and is like, you're under arrest for impersonating a condolier and for insulting a police officer. Which, am I... How? Yeah, there's no sense to that scene. Yeah, who cares? It has no plot value and it's not funny and it doesn't make sense. (sighs) It seems like it's supposed to be there to, like, resolve this ongoing plot line where Horace is pissed at Bates because Bates told him he had to wear one kind of bow tie and not another kind of bow tie. He's pissed him for, like, the entire film. And, like, finally he's got one over on Bates. But then there's the whole thing with Bates and being the fake reverend. So it never comes to anything. Yeah. Anyway, after the reveal that she's not really married, they do a little dance across a bridge in the Epcot, Venice, and the movie ends. It's always the servants in this movie that comes in at the last moment with some totally out-of-left-field thing. Like, in The Gay Divorcee, it was that Ginger Rogers' husband was actually, like, a visitor to the hotel with a fake wife who was the woman he was having an affair with. This reveal was not as good. This reveal was not as good because it's one of those things where the reveal only helps the Hayes Code. Like, (laughs) in real life, it kind of doesn't matter. She would just get the marriage annulled. They haven't slept together yet. It was under weird circumstances. Like, it kind of sucks, but the, the marriage is annulled. In this, it helps the Hayes Code that she doesn't have to get the marriage annulled because she was never really married. But it's not like it's less awkward for anyone involved. Like, it's not like it's it's any less interpersonally fraught. And Alberto is totally fine with it, which is also weird. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense that he is just like no harm, no foul about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yeah, I guess if we didn't get married, then, you know... NBD. Yeah. It's totally fine that you stranded us in the middle of the sea and we had to come back on a fishing boat, which by the way, Horace was lying on top of all of the fish asleep. How does he not stink and no one has said anything? I assume he does, but no one just, that's, there's other business. To be fair, no one ever fucking talks about anything in this movie, so. Yeah, they'll probably in three to five years get to the fact that Horace still smells like fish. (laughs) 
the last note that I have here is, why is this movie called Top Hat? Oh, right? L- Fucking, okay. Like, why? <laughs> Here's my theory, is that the actual moment in which she becomes confused about his identity, the thing that the bellhop says is, there he is now in the Top Hat. Because both Horace and Fred Astaire are wearing a top hat and tails. That helps lead to the mistaken identity. And I only bring that up because it is just barely more justification for a film title than Bad Girl had. (laughs) But is still basically fucking nothing to hang your literal top hat on. Or One Night of Love. Yeah, I like Yeah, I I don't I don't understand. I'm going to go ahead and go on record as saying that if you have to pick one of these movies to watch between The Gay Divorcee and Top Hat, watch Top Hat. Yeah, just cuz the musical numbers are better and in both the advice is basically to kind of tune out everything that isn't the musical numbers. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're there for. You're you're not watching a Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers movie for the plot. It would be nice if there was one that made any damn sense, but th- that's not that's not why you're there. Yeah. Which is sad cuz Aunt Hortense is great, but it's worth it to me to lose Aunt Hortense for the better musical numbers cuz again, I'm not there for the the one-liner machine. And that just fine. Though still, on a pure should you watch this level, I'm not sure my answer is yes. Yeah, I'm not sure that it is that mine is either. And it is the last Fred Astaire's Ginger Rogers movie that is nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. And I kind of feel like the reason for that is that they lost their goodwill by doing these two movies back to back. Yeah, that kind of makes some sense. I haven't read anything that says that, but that certainly is my feeling is like, I'm not even going to watch the next one because it's just going to be that same thing over again. Honestly, I do think I would recommend Broadway Melody of 1936 over this movie easy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it is bonkers and nonsensical but in a really enjoyable way instead of a nonsensical and frustrating beyond measure yeah and uh uh, what do i rate this movie uh do you do you have a rating for this movie i mean what what did we give broadway melody an eight a seven or an eight wait lucille ball was in this movie yeah she's she's the clerk in the flower shop i totally missed that i don't even think she has a line or no, she does. It's like, you know, why are we going to send the horseshoe or something like that? Oh, yeah. I I mean, she, she's like, she doesn't really have a part in here. Eh, yeah. Um. Anyway, sorry. What did we rate what? What did we rate Broadway Melody of 1936? I gave it either an eight or a nine. <laughs> right. Because you talked me down from a ten. Yeah. I think you gave it a six. No, I think I gave it like a seven or an eight. Uh, um, Did I give it a six? I think you gave it a six. All right. Well, I'm going to revise that up to, I'm going to revise that up to an eight. Okay. Because yeah, again, like it's a, it is a damn mess, but it's a really enjoyable mess. And uh, sorry, Fred Astaire, you, you knew this yourself. The tap dancing of that movie is better than anything you can do. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give this a six. I guess. If you're revising Broadway Melody of 1936 up to an 8, that makes sense to me. Uh, I was going to give it a 5 because I believe that's what we gave Gay Divorcee. Yeah, but I think it's a little bit better than Gay Divorcee. I uh, I think it is too, but I also think it's a little bit worse in some ways. Uh, and so I was going to argue it kind of balances out, but I'm I'm also ready to say this is like this is a little above par. 
this is a little above just like this is a movie. And so, yeah, I think six is fair. So, yeah, I don't I don't know that you should watch this. And I don't know that you should watch The Gay Divorcee either. Uh, a- apparently, their most famous movie is something else. Swing Time. Dance critics maintain that Swing Time contained a finer set of dances. And since that's why you're there, just just watch Swing Time instead. Yeah. The end. Um... <laughs> So next week. Next week, we are watching A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, oh, this is the Mickey Rooney one. I don't, I've never watched this one, you know? I, I haven't either. And uh, the cast is really interesting to me. I gotta, I gotta say, because, <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Cagney as bottom is either going to be totally brilliant or really really bad because the thing is jimmy cagney can't do it he just can't exist (laughs) without some undercurrent of violence like you always kind of feel like he might punch you in the jaw and i don't know how i feel about that for bottom but it might actually work you know yeah i'm i am gonna i don't know i'm gonna be interested this is this is my favorite Shakespeare. I, I don't think I would argue for it being the single best Shakespeare play, but it's my favorite um, because I'm a structure nerd. And so I am going to be interested. I think this is going to be a train wreck because it's 1935. And even the best fucking movie we've watched has been a goddamn train wreck. Yeah, but there's there's something about the humor of this era that I think could work really well with the humor in Midsummer. Yeah. Which is like, stuff isn't actually funny, but they think that it is. So that's cute. I, my fear is this is going to be a special effects showcase. I mean, ugh. That like... Look what we can do with dissolves is going to be like a fucking hour of this film. Yeah, and Mickey Rooney as Puck is like, yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, granted, like the Mickey Rooney that I know is like sixty minutes, Nick Mickey Rooney, so it, it's hard to it's hard to imagine. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Until then, this 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 was a movie. This was a movie. The, yeah, I, I, it was a movie. <laughs> I hate 1935 so much, Susan. <laughs> it's almost over. Yeah. It's almost just over. Got three just more three more weeks. Christ. All right. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Like an unwritten melody, I'm free, that's me. So bring on the big attraction. My decks are clear for action. I'm fancy free, free for anything. And-